I'd advertise it if they would pay me. <laughs> yeah, because I used to record interviews with people and I'd use a little multi-directional mic. Oh, cool. That you kind of attach to a dictaphone and you just, it's really kind of subtle. You well, can't it, see it. It is Yeah, no, I can see it is, but it's a... Uh, a much bigger one. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. It can be a four track as well. You can make it really lovely. That's useful then, man. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. He saw capitalism as a uh, both inherently destructive and progressive system, and, and I think that that's right. Depending upon what happens in that moment of crisis, you know, the Chinese word for crisis means be both danger and opportunity. Tuna is a very political fish. Right. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Liam. Hello, Liam. Hello. <laughs> How did you meet me? Oh. You know what, I've listened to one of the shows and I knew that question was going to come and yep. I forgot to think about how on earth <laughs> I met you. Not I'm, everybody remembers. I'm pretty sure it was through Sonia. Well, I know that it was through Sonia. My niece. Yeah, your niece, sorry. My very old, very good friend. And I think it might have been here. Yeah, I think it was probably uh, in this Joe's house. house. I think yeah. probably in this house. So it's in, we're in my sister's house, which is also my house. It's complicated. <laughs> And I used to live here too for a year with his sister. That's right, you were one of her many lodgers. <laughs> That's right, I was. I was the lodger in the attic. A lot of my interviews are recorded in that attic now, nowadays. Oh, yeah. I used to live there. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but the thing is, I couldn't really stand up in it. Ah, uh, yes. I can only stand up right at the You're arch. a very tall man, yeah. I yeah. am very tall, and yes. Six foot seven, for the record. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, my really tall friend comes over and makes music with me up there, and uh, he has he has some trouble. What do you do now? I'm mainly, I suppose, what you call an academic. I work in university, University of London. I'm interested in kind of political economy and development. I also work for the Pacific Islands, kind of simultaneously part time. The fourteen Pacific Islands, like uh, you know Fiji, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, and so on, the group together in a kind of regional integration organisation, a bit like the EU. And they work together on fisheries, which is what I do. Well, the first question I was thinking I would ask you specifically is, are you a Marxist? <laughs> uh, yes, I am. Uh, yes, I guess I am. And what does that mean in the modern world? Well... <laughs> I suppose it means two things. I mean, my job is an anal analytical work. I analyse, you know, social reality, and I use Marxist frameworks to try and, you know, break down the things that I see and kind of make sense of them. The second component is, of course, practice. And you know, I'm not involved in. I'm not a member of any political party, so I'm certainly not hot on practice as much as I'd like to be. But I, you know, I teach, for example, and I think that that's a very political practice. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, you know, I, I see that as being important. I, you know, I work sometimes with developing countries, governments and other players, like, you know, environmental NGOs sometimes, for example. And I see that kind of work as, you know, it's certainly not revolutionary. <laughs> I suppose from a strict perspective it might even be seen as reformist, but, you know, the, the fact is is that current kind of political struggles are not what you might call... <laughs> P perfect 
conditions for revolutionary moment right now on a global scale at least but then of course we have North Africa. Can you explain what Praxis is for anyone who might not be familiar with the concept? It's the relationship, well, practice, the political struggle, I suppose. And political struggle isn't just, of course, political parties. It's also various forms of activism. Could be political struggle in the workplace, local area, like a community, for want of a better word. Those moments of, you know, working with other people to achieve something or against them, because, of course, social conflict is a key component of Marxism, um, helps to inform how you then think about theory. Yeah. And vice versa. So, you know, that's, that's the kind of, I suppose, the dialectic between the two. So it's basically the idea of, to have theory, you have to have practice. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. And... The well, o- not, I mean, not necessarily, I mean, you don't have to. Uh, but they interrelate. They you, interrelate, they, and I suppose that's... What you can't improve either. You can't yeah, improve your theory yeah, the without The point is to change the world, the world yeah. not just to analyse it. Okay. Yeah. And that is a that is a crucial point. For most ideological systems, I mean, that all of them are in the place where they have to consider the fact that to happen, they have to actually do something rather than just be believed by a few people. Absolutely. And to convince. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Well, there there are different stratagems. There are very different ways of trying to convince. And and hopefully, you know, (laughs) those of us who consider ourselves to be people who might change things for the better will, will convince, hopefully. And convince through argument yeah. and you know, demonstrative practice. Yeah. yeah, and to link in with other people, to not just be somebody who's saying everybody should do it this yeah, way, absolutely to listen not. to some yeah. other people and yeah. their opinions, second opinions. Well, this is one of the things that annoys me about the, the whole kind of, oh, well, Marxism dead, it was proved wrong. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Soviet Russia was <laughs> very far from what I would consider to be Marxist. Yeah. No, I mean, I suppose one of the main kind of Very points good. of uh, you know Marxist idea was fundamentally democratic. You know, the dictatorship of the proletariat, and it's got the word dictatorship in it, so people perceive that to be uh, yeah, I think you know problematic. I but think it, you're actually, right. it means the rule of the majority, both politically and economically. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I feel Marx is an incredibly excellent critique uh, mm. of capitalism as it as yeah. it as it was then, and and even as it is now. Yeah, um, I, think so. I think there's so much we can learn from Marx and mm. I get very annoyed with the communist issue because it has put so many people off mm. looking at the source and mm. actually Marx is much better than anyone who came after him I think even you know even the big the big wigs even you know the other revolutionary writers or like Lenin or Trotsky yeah, or Trotsky or yeah. Yeah. I think that Marx's stuff doesn't necessarily have to lead to communism. It's analysis. I, ah, I, I, trust I, mean, I suppose that depends upon. It doesn't have to lead. No, I mean that, the idea that you have this stagist view, like you know, you have you know, capitalist society leads the foundations for you know, socialism and eventually some idea of communism. I mean, no one, yeah, Marx himself, didn't really state what he thinks that would be. Like. Exactly. Uh, you know, except for a few idealistic moments, you know, talking about how people would live broader, fuller, more fulfilling lives. And it's about social existence and not simply existence to produce profit for someone else. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's such a, it's such a maligned term and position I think yeah. on the left yeah. Marxism and and actually I, I'm a I, I define myself as a, a pragmatic anarchist at the okay. moment yeah. as, as, as oh, that sounds, anarchist. So, yeah. sounds so pretentious to go like that though oh. um, but and the thing is for years I was afraid to even use the word anarchy hmm. because so many people have got the wrong idea of anarchy yeah. and I think a similar thing has happened to Marxism and to communism and well, all of red, these red and black unite 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> ab- ab- absolutely. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for that. I will link up with any fellow travellers along the path towards anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll find the social contradictions of the proposed anarchy would uh, be problematic. Well, I mean, I know what you mean. <laughs> Can human nature really be allowed to be completely free? Oh, I don't know. No, no, no. I mean, I, I don't really believe in any kind of essential human nature at all. Okay. I think my my issue is how would you know society be organised if it was a series of decentralised, de- highly decentralised anarchic communities or whatever you want to well, call it. Well, it would work a lot like tribal communities mm. did. I mean, well, it, it yeah. has worked in the past. Yeah, There's indeed. no reason it can't work in the future. Mm. And we're going to run out of resources, so we may have to become much less technological. And therefore, well, then, then see, technology in society may reflect itself. Right? It, well, technology certainly could be put to better uses. But I think that, and I suppose this is where kind of Marx's analysis comes in, is that he saw capitalism as a uh, both inherently destructive and progressive system. And, and I think that that's right. I agree. And one of the reasons why, of course, is precisely because it's been so innovative in terms of productivity enhancements and technological developments and so on, which in turn would, in principle, lay the foundation for a society that used those technologies and innovated them to suit a society that was about relatively equal distribution of political and economic yeah, I mean, I'm a pragmatic anarchist only because I need to sort of define myself in some way for people mm. to get an idea of where mm-hmm. I'm coming from. Well, that's um, why I slightly hesitate when you ask whether or not I'm a Marxist. Yeah, I completely believe in the redistribution of wealth and mm. in an equality to the way it is just yeah. redistributed yeah. at the same time as believing decentralised states mm. get rid of authority positions as much as is possible and have, make collective decisions rather yeah, than... Yeah, well, that sounds... I mean, I mean collective decisions and, and the, the state. I mean, the state today is, of course, a capitalist state. And that's why, you know, <laughs> for a Marxist, you know, socialist revolutionary kind of project to work, you have to change the state. But it doesn't mean that necessarily that you have to have you know a huge violent conflict yeah you know, that's i think the big issue that's my issue i mean i can't i can't get behind violence that's what that's where the pragmatic comes comes yeah. comes in so within the system we have i'll do anything that makes it slightly better so if that's vo- yeah. voting labor or something like that i mean i would never vote labor because i don't think they'll make it better but if that's voting <laughs> green right if that's voting for a party yeah then i'll do that if that's trying to stop the cuts and going on marches for that i will do that the welfare state is definitely much better than, yeah, than need, we need to defend social it, democracy uh, on a first i would first exactly basis. i'd yeah. completely reorganize the the world but as i'm <laughs> as i can't we yeah, need the well- until, until then, we need the welfare state. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The welfare state is of primary importance yeah. until we are in a situation where we can have a similar thing to the welfare state, but in smaller decentralised groups. You know. I want to go back to your point about violence. You see, the capitalist society is also very violent, not just in terms of the, oh, the wars and so on that are generated through it, but you know, in the workplace. Yeah. You know, workplace-related deaths in Britain. I mean, you know, how often do you hear reports on that? I mean, that's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, of course, if you extend that to the rest of the world. I mean, you know, the extraction of resources, you know, the, violent, every, the violence of the factory. Nearly every know. famine that happens happens because the IMF won't let people <laughs> stockpile their grains, and so. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, we can't blame blame purely I'm not, the IMF. I'm not, but of the, course, I'm not blaming the IMF completely for these things, but no, that no, you is can, part, you can blame the IMF to an extent. But, know, they, but, but they are a violence. I'm saying that yeah, is violence absolutely. against other people. You were mentioning that you know you'd, you'd, anything you do wouldn't contain strategy of violence, but. I don't know 
you know, how it would work out. But I don't know that necessarily, you know, social change that would be significant would be non-violent. I think they would have, I don't yeah. believe in the idea that, you know, you would have big wars. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but certainly, you know, you would have very significant forms of resistance from a very small group of people who have a I expect, vested interest in the system. I expect that to be the case. They're always, like... That's why you have to convince. I think it's really reasonable as well, to a certain extent. Like, I'm quite a humanist in my kind of mm. social view, so... Yeah, I suppose I, I, I am too. I, 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 I sort of think riots are reasonable, you can understand why they happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, violence, generally, you can understand the individuals as human beings controlled by the systems so so you you know whilst it, I, I can't I will never condone violence there's it's very rare that there's violence that I think is hasn't got reasons that are not just that person behind mm. it you know that it's the way that society is structured that, that frames violence yeah, um, I mean and, you know just take it for Egypt for example you know the, the arguments of the people engaged in effect revolutionary moment convinced people who were working as soldiers to come over on their side yeah. you know for me that's what would have to happen? You, you couldn't fight the you know, the military apparatus of the capitalist state. You can't win. But certainly, you know, I don't know precisely what kind of. You know, I'm not going to go into like lay out a series of strategies. All but I'm, all I am no, saying is that non non violent resistance is the first step. But of course, you know. do you worry that we're just telling ourselves fictions? Like when we come up with these kind of possibilities for mm. the future like if mm. I if I if I I, I, re I very rarely go to this place that we're at now yeah. where I lay out exactly how I would run the world there is no real point no I, um, I wouldn't ever do that well no 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 but I mean just not how I would run the world because mm. the whole point of anarchy is no one runs yeah, the world I mean how I'd like the world to be my utopia my, my yeah. utopia my <laughs> utopia when I lay out my utopian ideals or even my pragmatic kind of here's what we should do now ideals mm. am I and are you and are all of political thinkers just sketching out fictions about the way the world's going to work or yeah. could work with no possibility of altering capitalism in any form until well, it plays itself yeah, and that's, out that's a really good question I think and again I'd, I'd come back to why I think that a kind of a, a Marxist or you know, Marxian analysis is very useful it is because you look at the social struggle in the past yeah. and you see where that's taken things. Movements against slavery, anti-colonial movements, the suffragettes, the working class universal suffrage. Yeah. Homes for Heroes is kind of the capitalist state's kind of response to a huge number of trained, generally working class men coming back from the trenches and the state had to respond to it somehow and certainly there was movements in the labour movement arguing for that as well. So I think you know, social change is a, is a configuration of you know, various elements of the state, and of course the state has to be differentiated because different parts of the state are kind of social compromises. You yeah. know? So, for, you know, for example, a labour department is a social compromise, and they'll struggle within the state with other departments. So, the state itself isn't a monolithic thing. So, I think social struggle has resulted in the capitalist state containing lots of contradictions. Oh, and I, yeah. And I absolutely. think those contradictions are areas that show both how a kind of more socialist, I suppose, society could exist. Free education and free healthcare, the founding basis, I think, for a more equal society, certainly. But it simultaneously, you know, allows you to see the contradictions. So, for example, in education, you know, what is the curriculum we're following and why? Yeah. That houses sites of social struggle yeah. and, of course, potential mirrors to the future, you know. 
So I suppose the point is, is to answer your question, Marxism is useful, as are many other approaches, because it helps you to identify moments of social struggle and potential change, which in turn can be useful as a mirror to see where, where to next, and whether or not these are just idealistic kind of witterings. Possibly they are, but you can also see how things have changed, and of course gone back, it's not like an evolutionary historical change. So that's a very long answer to that question. I don't think the revolution is around the corner. It may never happen, but certainly the contradictions in society are very clear. And they're very clear to a lot of people, mm. I think, and even in their day-to-day lives. I mean, yeah. it's not just academics, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, certainly not. When I was 15, I was a member of Militant Labour, as yeah. they were. Yeah. In fact, they, they changed their name from Militant Labour to the Socialist Party during the time I was a member of the party. Okay, yep. I was their, like, team member. At yep. the, and it, I was at all of the meetings and I listened to all of the, mm. the stuff and mm-hmm. I hung out with these mm. Cardiff socialists and they were generally working-class people. And one day after, because I did all of it, I sold the papers and I went canvassing and I went on marches, yep. right? One day... I was in a meeting, and no, I was in the I was in the pub after the meeting, I think, mm-hmm. and they were talking, and they were talking about the state, yeah, and I realised that the problem is they're just replacing one evil with another evil. A lot of them, they, mm. they, and that the, and that the system that 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 they were espousing also still contained money as the way it was structured and so we're still really a capitalist system it wasn't actually different yeah. it was just changing where the money went to mm. so instead of it going to big business it, it funnels into the state and that's when i stopped being a socialist well, that, that's that's i mean that's the marxist analysis i mean that, 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 yeah. what, one of my biggest moments of disillusionment was being in a pub after a political meeting and the other socialist party, well, you know, it was SWP, and the other the socialist party was sitting at another table just over there, and yeah. they were kind of everyone was eyeing each oh, other. Oh, that's you know, right. Like, they hate know, each other, yeah, the socialist worker well, party yeah, and, are, and, and socialist party. I mean, there are you know real reasons for that, you know, uh, intellectually, but <laughs> given our current context, I, I find that kind of fragmentation of the left quite depressing. They're always I, that. That is generally a, a truth. I mm. mean, that I find, and I think it puts a lot of people off the left, Absolutely. who 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 wouldn't be and who aren't. You know, Absolutely. it's just yeah. like how some certain feminists put off lots of women from being feminists, and all all of these things, like certain atheists put off other people from being atheists, I or guess. being identified as. Yeah, mm. right. But that's that's yeah. exactly that identification as. Yeah. So many women that you speak to mm. are definitely feminists, mm-hmm. but they will not call themselves feminists. Yeah, because of the baggage that comes with the term. Yeah. It comes back to our prior point about, you know, calling yourself a Marxist or an anarchist or something like that. You know, people immediately will then label you um, more often than not unfairly. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, back to the question yeah. of money. You know, money is nothing. You know, money is, of course, just a, you know, a, just a, way of, a means of exchange. Yeah, you know? exactly. And you know, value itself comes from elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it comes from you know production in the various moments that yep. that kind of then goes through. You know whether it's the labour power of someone you know transporting goods around the world. I think the the question that that you're you're raised in the pub and what perhaps kind of you know worried you was that maybe they were thinking through what would happen immediately next. 
And then this is the problem, isn't it? I mean, you would always have some elements of capitalist society in yeah. the next mode of production or you know social formation or whatever it is that you'd have. That's because a really good point. Because in, in the same way, you would have, yeah, you do have you know ele you know elements of Norman <laughs> kind of feudalism in contemporary British. Yeah, society. that's really true. So there, you know, there, there's never this kind of break. No, that's uh, right. But there are revolutionary moments and things change over time well maybe so I should reevaluate. it's a good point and my opinion when I was 15 will not necessarily have been you know as clear because when you're 15 you don't know some stuff that you learn and, and, well, and, and, yeah, and I guess listening to the conversation would have just pissed you off yeah <laughs> I mean because I mean I guess that's why I've added this pragmatic thing because mm. I'm like well you can't go right to the end You've got to have what's the next step? What's the next step? Yeah. And so you've got to just be pragmatic and do what mm. you can achieve, mm. and not not try and achieve impossible dreams. And maybe that's what they were doing. But to a fifteen-year-old, I didn't want to hear that. Yeah, no, really. That's very possible. So mm. maybe I should reevaluate my relationship with, with with socialism. But I I do think that socialism, as opposed to Marxism, mm. which I have a lot more sympathy with, socialism has kind of traditional values that I can't really get behind that come from it being a product of a time and place yeah well it depends what time I mean so like you can like Fabian socialism yeah exactly you know, that's, that, the, that's kind true of very elitist you know top down I mean you know Gordon Brown I think wrote his PhD on the Fabian movement and you can see how the elements of that perhaps came through in his attempt to distribute wealth sneakily you know, yeah. which he did to an extent but of course inequality increased at the same time but I suppose Marx himself would have said I'm a socialist or a communist I'm a socialist and a Marxist. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that it depends upon how you. So, are you a socialist and a Marxist? Though? Well, I don't think you can you separate can't them be, out. Okay. No, like, as you're doing. Like, I suppose that's my point. I don't think right. that's possible. Okay. Because I think a lot of Marxists would consult, call themselves socialists or communists, depending upon your tradition, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I tend to prefer the ones who call themselves communists, mm. but I don't like <laughs> communism as was as was not communism. That's why but people don't time. use it a yeah. lot. I do think that there is a crossover. I do think there are people who are not as left as others who mm. are in the Socialist Party, and I do think that the state is a dangerous apparatus to wield. I mean, I think that you oh, can't... Sure. you can't. The state is... Yeah. No, but I, I think the Socialist State would also be a dangerous... Ah, weapon. Okay, yeah, well, it could be, yeah. And I think that. It depends upon whether or not you have genuine, you know, democracy. I guess I don't have as much faith in human nature. That's why oh, I go. That's why that I go. Again, that's see, so that's why I go towards yeah. anarchy. Well, I know what you're saying that isn't we don't. Human, have. Isn't human nature a multiplicity? That's you know? absolutely true. And but so there consequently, is, you would always have different things <laughs> coming out. That's of really people. true. That's really true. And you know, men and women are equal, but we're also different. And what you're saying is true. There is a multiplicity to to human experience, of course. And well, so and human nature reduces that. That is a really fair point. But the thing is, when you say use the term human nature and it gets used about things that it shouldn't be used mm. about but we are still instinctual creatures who yes. through evolution have come to have certain needs and certain desires so you're talking about like greed for example or well no i don't i think greed greed is a really judged like judgment like the the word is wrong okay that's not what the na that's not what that kind of nature is it might be self-preservation yeah, self-preservation right? yeah, and, and, and and so it exhibits itself within capitalism as greed but in under mm. a different system mm. it might exhibit itself as something else like yeah. it's how you channel your instincts yeah. like we have control over how we channel them but we don't get rid of the instincts and I think that that's what I'm that's what I'm mm. saying like I, I, I think that to, to, to best channel those instincts the 
Marxist or socialist state that we're talking about, that is not going to work. Whereas I think that if you decentralise, it will actually work. Like that's why that's my essential kind of mm. uh, difference. And if with, well, I with mean, your in, in short, I don't know. The human instinct of self-preservation can also be manifested through, I mean, as it was, if you look at historically, kind of agricultural communities. I mean, when they emerged, one of the things to emerge with them was a hierarchy extracting some of the surplus to protect that, that agricultural you know, production. I suppose I mean, the, the food. You wouldn't need that in principle, I suppose, in a kind of series of kind of decentralized anarchic kind of communities. But at the same time, if human nature exists, as you're kind of pointing out, and preservation exists, just for example, say we bring in the environmental conditions of the world here, you have different groups in different places, and one group suffers a famine. Now, in principle, you'd have some kind of mechanism to distribute surplus from other places so that they don't have to suffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or potentially, of course, self-preservation, invade <laughs> another community in order to yeah. survive. You know, so you'd have to have some kind of mechanism of distribution across the planet, presumably, somehow. Well, uh, unless you get rid of that completely. My way is a much harder way, you're right. People would maybe die of famine occasionally. <laughs> uh, but generally, the majority of people would be a little bit happier. You see, I like find that either. idealistic. Why not utilise the technology and understanding and knowledge that's been generated through capitalism? And would you rather be able to throw away knowledge? Well, that's a good question. I still want computers. Me, and my future doesn't contain them. My view would get rid of them because... But that's crazy. I love them. They're my favourite thing. If, I, I'm never offline. You know. Oh, indeed. So then, how you know if you if you want to get rid of computers? I don't. Well, I don't. It's just an inevitable side effect. Well, I wouldn't want to get effect. rid of the internet. I mean, the internet's incredible. I mean, it, mean, it means that I can stay in touch with people across the planet I know, and I can but, work with different people. But it's unsustainable. No, it's not. I think it is. No, this, see, think see, of now, the physical see, factories that ah, you're going to need to now contain you're, now the you're data. Now you the biophysical conditions of capitalism. So you're, now you're talking about the relationship between nature and capital, right? And of course, you know, without a doubt. We're going to have to have less, come on, no. to have a better world. Uh, n- I don't know about that. I think it certainly have to be distributed differently. I don't that know means that there's people I, I, at the top Without a doubt, people don't in the top 10% need of, to have less. Of, would consume less. Oh my God, I wish they would. No, <laughs> I wish we could get it without back Without a doubt. I mean, that's, that I'm, has to happen. I am with you completely. The richest people in society need to redistribute that wealth. It is almost criminal. Well, I don't know because I don't. I have a problem with the concept of law. But So I can't really <laughs> use the concept yeah. of criminality. But it is... But immoral. I haven't got a problem with morality. It is There's immoral. There's no social justice in it. Yeah, it, it's disgusting. And you know, and it's and it's violent, as we go back to before. And it's actually inefficient. Mm. The major argument for a lot of capitalists would say, well, how would you reorganise a system that's more efficient than capitalist competition? That's what they always say. Churchill's, it's the best. So, was yeah, he said the best about system demo- we know. Yeah, he said yeah. about democracy, but it's the same. Yeah, thing. but I mean, he meant capitalism. Yeah, I think he did too. Yeah, it's efficient in the context of an individual firm. So an individual firm will become more efficient in order to compete with other firms but if you take all of those firms as a whole mm. yeah could <laughs> their production you know, their use of resources distribution and whatever be more logically using if they weren't in direct competition <laughs> with each other and there was another mechanism aside from the profit motive yeah, absolutely that, that drove why things were produced for who and, and so on. So that comes back to the political question. Okay, how do we get them to give it to us? No. <laughs> well, this comes back to the question of, you know, how, you know, I, d- I don't have the solutions. And how do, how do we convince the people who aren't 
even earning that much they think compared to the super rich that they have still have to reduce well, what they well, have you know, the recent bit. financial crisis or financial and economic crisis has demonstrated very clearly to a lot of people how things are distributed I, mean, I saw a socialist worker sign at the station mm. and it said Marx was right oh, yeah, about yeah. this financial crisis so yeah. do you agree with that statement but well, do you no, think that on. this I mean, is I think, the I think that the, the issue is is that you know, within I don't think that this is necessarily the seeds for revolution no is it going to destroy as is very clear well, I think capitalism will eventually destroy itself but I think that's as you've pointed out for me the more likely source of its destruction will be ecological Okay. Or certainly in terms of major crises. No, me too, that's what I think. Financial crisis in a Marxist frame is not necessarily cyclical in a perfect cycle sense, but cyclical is part of the system. Okay. And that's not even just Marx that says that. I mean, you know, Schumpeter, for example, who was an anti Marxist, you know, believed in you know, series of crises and capitalism reproduces itself from a crisis. And you also the have the shock doctrine. Yeah, I guess, yeah. At the and, moment, is there? Yeah, and, and, you know, you have, depending upon what happens in that moment of crisis, you know, the Chinese word for crisis means both danger and opportunity. Which uh, is, you know, that's uh, interesting. But it is a dialectical moment. So different crises can result in different things, depending upon, I think, what the local configuration at the local, national, global scale is at that moment in time. I think Marx was right there, yeah. But I don't think that this the current crisis shows you know, any real major hope for you know, some revolutionary moment i felt like it was a little bit obtuse at the time when yeah, everyone they're, they're was going to suffer they're, 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 to, to go on about if yeah. marx was right anyway i mean it's not good well, they're trying to sell papers you know they, what, <laughs> what they want to do is convince people of their arguments yeah you know. but i don't think that the left is very good at doing that i no. worry about the way that it it comes across because i generally am very sympathetic with it i certainly would prefer it to the right uh, or the centre, or whatever we're going to call the yeah. right. I just w want us to be better at maybe thinking about the audience, I mean, oh, a little bit more. Yeah, but I mean, there are a lot of people doing other things. I mean, you know, things like adbusters, anti-capitalist media. Well, or, there's some really or... exciting stuff. I mean, I've been on a UK Uncut marches. Mm, and yeah, I, Peter told me. Yeah. I have some sympathy with them I, I do think sometimes they do very stupid things again for PR like PR mistakes like mm. I think Murdoch custard pie was a PR mistake especially if you're not going to bake a fucking pie I mean what's yeah. that shaving cream about there's no nothing like if you baked a pie then it would <laughs> you know it I'm would not have so some... sure I would have been able to get a pie into the room well yeah but then if you I... can't make a significant statement don't try and make one well and don't get twatted by Murdoch's wife that was a big <laughs> yeah well he could have I, I guess that could have happened to anyone no though. of course it could have but it's just she know. was good she yeah was she really was impressive good. she was on yeah, it yeah she was yeah i think uk and cuts the, the, what they're trying to do is you know highlight the con you know the contradiction of this current oh, God, crisis absolutely. which is that the you know the public is absorbing the the risks and you know losses of the private the whole system was based upon and it's based upon the public underwriting yeah. the financial system I and mean, yeah, everyone knows that it was a moment of redistribution no, absolutely. No, that's, that's what happened, and that's the scandal. It's the redistributed risk yeah. and wealth from the rich to the, to, to, to ordinary exactly people, you know, to ordinary people exactly. Taxpayers. But it's also using the the logic of the current system to argue it, which is great. I mean, it's one of the it's a really heartening experience, or it was back in the day. Now the press has done this hatchet job mm, and mm. they've arrested these people unfairly. Then 
in my view, then then what the Murdoch issue? No, 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 no. UK uncut. Oh, UK uncut. Sorry. So what? What it is? Absolutely unfairly. I mean, and so the press did a real hatchet job, but it was really heartening back in the early days Hmm. because you'd go out on the street. And you would say to people, "We are saying that this company should pay that's should winning, pay its that's tax. winning arguments. Yeah, it should pay yeah. its tax." And everyone, like nine yeah. times out of ten, everyone agreed with it. Of course. Now the, they've made the name a little bit dirty. Oh, come on, yeah, but the, the thing name. is, is that I mean, look at look, look, look at for example the type of press yeah, that would have done that. Well, that's the Murdoch press. Yeah, but most people. Yeah, but that's true. So <laughs> maybe it'll be good. Look at the maybe Murdoch there'll press. be some good news. Well, soon you know, all. I mean, I think people have to start, you know, thinking about why certain messages are put forward. And That's true, and I think the public are more and more. The, well, more, the I, longer it goes on, the less they can keep up the facade. Yeah. I think we all agree, for example, I think all political parties all agree that, well, the majority definitely agree, that we should just get rid of all of our politicians and start again. There is no real, <laughs> like, whether you're right or left, everyone wants genuine now, and there's no genuineness there, and yeah. everyone sees that the system is disgustingly sick, and it is kind of everybody's in bed with each other that's what the Murdoch thing really well, shows indeed, but it's just changing personnel wouldn't change that I no think. but Con- you know the contradictions of the system is the problem you're right but so, but if you're talking pragmatics and that's what yeah. I'm talking I'm talking saying if you want a different system then first of all you have to be able to change this dominant yeah. power su- structure and but what would you change I mean you know what you're talking about uh, for example reducing the Murdoch oligopoly you know okay that's an obvious first thing I mean you know they, they became too powerful within in this system but so what would you also change you know the, the individuals who are MPs I mean well, I just surely then just recruit other individuals well, from I just the same parties which would then reproduce the same problem I agree with you but I just think that it would be so healthy to just get rid of everybody um, <laughs> and say nobody who's a Year politician zero. Yeah. yeah yeah see what happens when we when we when people who aren't trained in this kind of system oh, well, have to try and wield I think power. we're on to something now I mean a really interesting point was made I can't remember where some documentary or something I was listening or watching. Ed Balls, I think, but certainly the Millibands, Cameron and uh, George Osborne all come from the party system. None of them have you know, really worked exactly. uh, outside of the party. Exactly. They're products of the party. They don't know what it's like to be a person. <laughs> like, a, like most people. Yeah, well, they're, they're, a, they're, they're very focused on PR and, you know, and, and that, you know, I don't think that they, certainly the Labour Party isn't particularly interested in making any real political struggle because they're part of the you know, part of the problem. Yep. I mean but I don't think that just true. getting rid of individuals would do anything unfortunately. I think what you need is a you know is a new mass movement. But I think if you did scrap everybody, I mean if but we That's had not going to happen, is it? Well no, but that's the problem with anything, isn't it? But I mean <laughs> why that's what I find disgusting about it is that I think that if you had a vote of no confidence in mm. the parliamentary system at the moment mm. that the ballot papers would 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 actually be in the favor of a no confidence. Yeah. But that'll <laughs> never ever happen. So democracy is clearly not existing. I don't know that there would be, to be honest with you. I think that the, I think that various players would use the media, of course, and other kind of you know mechanisms to to win a vote for the system. I don't, I don't think that the majority of the British people voters no, would uh, vote against it. I think they would. They don't vote. Well, I think more of them would vote as well. I think people are genuinely pissed off. Like everybody that I speak to of well, all of parties don't mm. like this stuff. No, and of course. I, and I think that they would they would be voting for the system. They would be voting that's, for that's a better use, system. Yeah, they well, possibly. But I mean, who, you know, what what is the the other system? I mean, just 
more of the same? I mean, where would these people come from? Well, that's Are you talking about electoral reform or, you know? I mean, well, it would inevitably have to be the same party makeup as you have now. But yeah. the thing is, it might be also a moment where people felt confident enough to have another opposition, a new opposition. Or but some MPs are there for the opposition. right reason and, uh, you know, actually put Ex- pressure on the government. Oh, know. well, right. Yeah there'll be other people who will take their place who, who are likely to be as good and it's just the system is mm. sick so okay. you have to just lance well I disagree with you on that I don't think that would do anything you don't uh, think it, well I can see why mm. I mean I can I can completely see why you would mm. think that and, 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 and I, I probably do agree with you if mm. I'm hundred percent honest with myself. I don't, think, <laughs> but but then I don't think that there can be any change to the system. I don't think it's no. going to happen unless it just destroys itself through environmental issues, like you say. Yeah. I mean, I I actually don't believe that we can get out of it. I think it's like a self-replicating computer virus that we started <laughs> off, and we don't understand how to halt it. You you can't halt it without a global revolution now because it is global. So the only way you can halt it now is a, a global revolution, and that oh, is man. I mean, so. The- impossible to achieve yeah well but you know at the same time just leaving humanity to its inevitable doom and not making arguments about how things can oh you've got to try environmentally you know i think you've got to try or you can't complain i I agree well indeed indeed yeah i want to get a glass of water okay yeah no no problem (laughs) if you're enjoying getting better acquainted with me and with my guests Maybe you'd like to help other people find out about the show. There's a few easy ways to do that. You can go on iTunes if you've got five minutes and leave a review saying what you think of it. That helps it get higher rankings on iTunes and stuff like that. What the show really needs is word of mouth. And in this internet age, that means liking the show's page on Facebook or retweeting it or sharing the link to all of your Facebook friends or Twitter followers doing whatever you need to do in whatever social networking site you use and if you don't use a social networking site well hey you can just tell your friends or email your friends and tell them about what's going on and it'll become more so I think like it's like a trend that I see no no hence the brilliance of your idea well, maybe it's brilliant, maybe... No, it's a very good I idea, mate. I think it's mate. working. I'm pleased with it. It's that's like why the best I thing I've done. I think. I think it's a good idea. Oh, that's that's really good to hear, actually. Yeah, you're running a bit low. I no, I've got loads more at home. I just oh, right. didn't think I'd smoke so much. Yeah, I tried. I meant to give up smoking yesterday, but I didn't, <laughs> it seems. It's always happening to me. What, trying to give up and... Well, these days I did. I gave up for a year, and then and it was it was easy. But uh, was it? Well, no. Well, the thing is, I gave up when I was ill. Ah, so that's really good time ideal. to give up. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I was supposed to be giving up because Jen's gone away. I thought away. that before when I've been here. I thought now's the perfect time to give up. Yeah. No, I thought <laughs> when Jen, Jen Jen's gone away for a few days. Right. Where's she gone? <laughs> She's gone to Grenada with her mum. Grenada. Yeah. What well, in the Caribbean? Uh, oh, Grenada. Grenada. Sorry, yeah, good point. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> bizarrely, I went to Grenada in, I think, 2008 or 2009. And then about five months later, I went to Grenada. Grenada <laughs> so Grenada, no, no, yeah. since me being on top of the... You, 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 you're you, ne- the expert on the names, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a few of them like that. But yeah, she's gone away, so I thought I'd better give up now because um, 
You're mental. <laughs> I'm terrible to, when I'm coming off cold turkey. I'm horrible yeah. to be around. Yeah. But I, I think I'm gonna probably. She's going away for a bit longer, so mm. I'll probably, I'll probably wait do till it. then. Wait till then now. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe just start cutting back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the meantime. Well, the problem is I've been going. Oh, I'm gonna give up smoking. I better smoke as much as possible. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do love. I do love it. Fucking love it too. I mean it. I I I get my little friend su- such joy from smoking. You've seen the there's a an American poet laureate on YouTube. There's a a little animated poems by him. Oh, Billy Collins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Smoking. The, 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 my I love, last cigarette. My last cigarette. I love that fucking poem. That's my favorite. And that video is lovely. Smoking. It's oh. just. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like, my, my like last you know t- typing my computer, like oh. puffing away like a little uh, factory. It's, it speaks oh, to it's me. So fucking brilliant. But uh, but it's it's one of those things that's very specific. I don't think people who don't sit at their desk smoking will really enjoy it as much as people who do sit at their desk smoking. But even so then, it's, it's so specific. emotive. But it's great. It's great though. It's they wouldn't really enjoy it as much. But yeah, that's it's, right. That uh, it is just brilliant. Like I would say, it's one of my favourite poems. But oh, I think that yeah. most people probably wouldn't be it's as impressed as it as I am. Just incredible. Yeah. There's another one uh, called Procrastination, which I don't think is him, <laughs> but it's a, it's a similar kind of, it's not really a poem, but it's a, a little animation. Procrastination on YouTube. Just type pro, pro, Procrastination. I will do that. And you'll find good. a little, uh, I think it's black and white, hand-drawn animation. Cool. Mm. Well, that's good. Mm. So it's still recording from earlier because I couldn't be bothered to turn it Oh, is it? it oh. So <laughs> that's quite nice, actually. I might use some of that, some of it. Okay. Not all of it, if that's Fine. all right. No, no, I think so. I quite like the accidental kind of, chattiness that suddenly will punctuate the uh, very serious intellectual conversation indeed so you, we've just sort of mentioned that you type at your desk and you smoke but you also go um well what do you do what's what's i, I, won't, um, I won't try and describe it well I'll get it wrong. yeah aside, aside from being a teacher in the university i'm a researcher and i researched and i did my phd which i'm almost finished but while i was doing my phd i worked pretty much full-time, so in effect I didn't do my PhD for about three years. Right. Mainly, I suppose as a, as a horrible word, but as a consultant, kind of in effect a researcher and an analyst on on questions to do with the global tuna industry and its relationship to developing countries. Okay. To start from scratch, basically I was asked to do a big project for the Pacific Islands while I'd just started my fieldwork for my PhD, which was looking at the global tuna industry, so you know, the big businesses, multinational firms, for example, you know, Lehman Brothers used to own John West in the UK. Before Lehman Brothers, it was Heinz that owned them. You know, Prince's in the UK as well, you know, canned tuna and other food products, is owned by Mitsubishi. You know, so you've got these huge kind of players involved. You've also got big industrial fishing vessels, which are, you know, interesting. And because tuna is highly migratory, it flows between different territories in the seas including in the high seas which is like a legal grey area it's just a fascinating industry because yeah. it's a transnational flows yeah, yeah, so yeah. basically one part of the work is to try and understand the business of that who makes the money how they make it what different type of strategies do they use to accumulate of course, branding as well and the big role of supermarket power and shaping and shoving price squeezes down the chain and that type of thing I combine that with analysis of the international trade regime, so things like the World Trade Organization, or especially for what I look at, the European and US, because they're the main markets for canned tuna, yeah. uh, trade policies. 
which sometimes give you know preferential access to lots of developing countries, which changes the geography of production. So you've got kind of that layer, and of course on on top of that you've got the layer that with people and institutions trying to regulate or manage the the resource itself. So it combines you know the fisheries science, you know, fisheries management, and stuff like that. So you end up with this multi-layered kind of picture, and I suppose that's what I do. Wow. Well, that's an interesting... So you're a system to analyse. Are you... When you say consultant, does that mean that you are working for the industry? Or does no, that mean no, you're working no. against them, I guess? Uh, no, or I'd say that my, my job involves in me... No, provide analysing how this works yeah. and advising developing country governments mainly right. on how to increase kind of net benefits, I suppose from their interactions with this global industry. Okay. So how you regulate fleets, how you can extract more revenue from them, but simultaneously hoping to have a more sustainable fishery. How you can try to ensure that the cannery based in your country, you know, your small island country where your main private sector employer, for example, yeah. how it can how can you how can it survive, you know, in in the context of a kind of a highly competitive international division of labour. Okay. So it's kind of my, my my first job is research and analysis. Yeah. The second part of it is to offer kind of you know, policy options. I never give directed. I never say you should do this. I I just say you know if this happened then this might happen or this and so on. And go through like that. But I'm not directive if you know what I mean. I mean. What is that system like? <laughs> How do you mean? I mean, I won't, well, it's a uh, it, it provides you know cheap canned animal protein. Yeah. Or if you're talking about the Japanese market, often kind of, you know, fresh or frozen sashimi. Yeah. Uh, to people, you know, around the world, what the system's like? Well, it's a extractive industry. Yeah. It's highly capitalized. Yeah. It's highly concentrated, which right. is important, I think, because in capitalism there's a tendency to you know, concentration and centralization of firms, so you have less and less actual you know, competition. That's right. All that they do is still, of course, compete tooth and nail. How else can I typify it? Hmm. You know, it's 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 highly political. Tuna is a very political fish, right? Because of these trade relationships that I mentioned, and also because of the way it's regulated or managed, because it's transboundary. Yeah. One State Department official, when I was in the states, you know, interviewing people, called a recent kind of dispute with a Latin American country a tuna tiff. And uh, you know, <laughs> and other people use the language of like a tuna war, or you know. Right. Personally, I prefer a tuna tiff. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like that. That's nice. So, so you know, it's, it's very political. Is tuna an endangered? It's it's quite a common fish, isn't it? Is that depends the- upon the species. Okay. And so, you know, so for example, bluefin tuna, yeah. which is quite well known and in the media a lot. Atlantic bluefin, which lives you know between the west coast. Atlantic by yeah. the states and Gulf of Mexico okay. and, and the east coast of the Atlantic. So kind of the, the fish spawns, it reproduces in the Mediterranean. Okay. There's been massive overfishing there because of its incredibly high value on the Japanese market as sashimi. The reason why there's overfishing is because the fish is like the king of fishes. It grows, you know, to, I can't remember how big, but, you know, just over two meters, you know, it wow. takes... I think I can't. I should know, but you know, about eight years, for roughly. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. To reproduce, so to, to reach sexual maturity. Oh right, right. Okay. And on the other hand, you have skipjack tuna, which is what people in northern Europe eat in their can. Right. Which only grows to you know maximum meter, you know, meter and a half, pretty much. It 
reaches sexual maturity after one and a half years. It can reproduce all year round. So, you know, the biomass, it can reproduce itself much better, so therefore can sustain harder exploitation. And that's why it's cheaper. That's why it's, that's why it's cheaper, one of the reasons, and why it's also a more, I suppose, you know, sustainable product. So the issues around it are very different from, because, I mean, the other fish that I'm aware of, in my kind of vague radar, hmm. in terms of issues, the other fish I'm aware of is cod, yeah. and the issue for that is that it's being overfished. Is that it was some- massively, there was a collapse. Yeah. yeah. Collapse is, yeah. And then that's why they've had to sort of change fishing practice in order to mm, try yeah. and maintain the stock, but they're not going to manage it. Yeah, it depends upon the fishery for cod. You yeah. know. And the Canadians, for example, it was a disaster. You know, the, the, the Europeans are still pretending to regulate it. I mean, they are to an extent, but it's, I think you, know, you have to look at it fishery by fishery, to be honest. It's Regulation's an interesting issue under capitalism, I think, because mm-hmm. capitalism itself encourages you to cut corners to uh, maximise profits. Yeah. So that's the problem in terms of any system that has that as its basis. It's very hard. Yeah, but also the capitalism tries to regulate itself through, through the state or other mechanisms to reproduce itself yeah. simultaneously. So there's always that tension. Okay. It's relatively... Plentiful, I guess. Some of depending it. upon the species. Tuna. Yeah. The other issue is dolphins, isn't it? I mean, I've heard a lot about that. People <laughs> okay. care about well, dolphins because they might think that's it's an iconic marine yeah. mammal, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the issue with dolphins is that it's a bit of a a scam. Right? Dolphin aggregate with certain type of tuna, well, the canned tuna tuna species, in the eastern tropical Atlantic, so off the wet kind of Latin America, Mexico and, and down. So when you use these big enormous purse nets, which are kind of a mile across, right. and you capture the tuna, dolphins are eating, hunting with the tuna. So they hunt together there. Yeah. So you inevitably catch some dolphins. Right? So the whole dolphin-friendly issue came from exports from that fishery. You know, they bring it to shore and then process it into a can in the United States in the 70s, right? So the Marine Mammals Protection Act, which basically, you know, and then you had kind of dolphin-friendly tuna label and so on, right? But most of the tuna we eat in Europe is from the Atlantic, off the west coast of Africa, Indian Ocean, near Madagascar, Seychelles, and increasingly from the western central Pacific, like around the Pacific Islands. Right. But tuna and dolphin don't aggregate there. So people just slap that on their cans because they can, because they have fished in the right place to begin mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. and people who fish in the dolphin yeah. unfriendly areas yeah. carry on yeah the much more important now okay. and the much more kind of issue you know so Hugh Fernie Wittenstall's kind of fish fight on Channel 4 yeah I've seen it recently seen and there's it. been you know some kind of campaigns in the UK like Greenpeace for example yeah. Greenpeace UK you know, have been pushing this I've quite a lot of time for Hugh Fernie Wittenstall the issue now is the bycatch that's not kind of dolphin from these big purse nets so when you catch the tuna you're looking for, so this skipjack, or another one called yellowfin canned tuna, which they eat in southern Europe, yep. which is much tastier but much more threatened, okay. <laughs> you also catch like juvenile other species of tuna called big eye and other you know fish, which is having quite a negative impact and wasteful approach because they're catching on these things called fish aggregating devices, which is a floating thing in the sea that fish aggregate around because they like you know they, they feed on the little things that are feeding on the other things and they all kind of group together and you just put the net around that so you end up with lots of bycatch so what Greenpeace is saying and others is that you shouldn't use these fish aggregating devices you you should be catching on 
free swimming schools, it's called, where you have to actually go out and find the fish, looking for birds, yep. which feed in the same area where there's a tuna uh, feeding frenzy and, and so on. So that's the kind of current step in you know, s sustainable questions around tuna, like, for example, the dolphin. And the other one is using pole and line. So if you look at Sainsbury's uh, yeah, canned okay. tuna, you'll see line caught. Okay, that's uh, where you have a boat with like you know fifteen fishermen on on the back, and they've all got an individual rod, and you know they're throwing little bait out and catching the tuna one by one. But that in itself, even though it's a lot of the environmental groups argue that that should be the only type of fishing we're using, yeah, is problematic. Why? Because one, there aren't enough of these boats to supply global demand. So we just have to have less. <laughs> Yeah, but then you've got the question of, you know, how people survive. Yeah, yeah. I can um, see that. Yeah. It's not so, simple. No, <laughs> uh, but the next kind of issue is, is the bait. The little the little fish that they throw overboard okay. have to be caught themselves, which sometimes have interactions with coastal fisheries in developing countries and then has a negative knock-on effect there. So, you know, they, I don't think they necessarily thought through the science of that, but... But certainly a combination of that method and not fishing on fish aggregating devices is, in combination, probably the immediate kind of struggle, let's say, in the market, labelling, eco-labelling, let's call it. Yeah. That's, a, that's a bit of a scam. What the dolphin one is. Yeah, yeah but, but the other ones are all right. Are they? Or, I mean, so you, you have to know, basically you have to know what the labels mean, don't you? That's the problem with these labels. Well, not this enough, is the whole problem. Yes, yeah. Eco labels or sustainability labeling is a complicated area, <laughs> and it's also difficult for consumers. I think they don't know what everything means, and so if something, for example, is Marine Stewardship Council yeah. (MSC) the little blue tick. They assume that that's necessarily perfect, but it's not necessarily perfect. Yeah, it's like it's so like on. fair trade. Fair trade is better than something that isn't fair trade. But yeah, I mean, Rainforest Alliance is better than fair trade, and blah blah blah, and all this stuff. Yeah, but I mean, on fair trade, for example, one of the issues is is that you don't necessarily have to look after, pay more to the workers working on the plantation. Yeah. So the owner of the the farm would get a better price. Are the working conditions? Yeah. You know, so it's difficult. But you know, certainly it's something. At least it raises the, the issue. And awareness, mm. yeah, absolutely. It increases awareness of the issue. I mean, I think the thing is with technology sometimes is that we've advanced so much that the our ability to do stuff like those big trawling nets that you're talking mm. about, I mean, it's a, it always sort of seems inherently unfair that the advantage that we suddenly get over kind of nature. So it's like when people who fish with dynamite, you're like, yeah, well, that's, just, that's just horrible. Mm. It's easy to do that, but... You know, you could if it, or if cyanide. You're, mm. If yeah, if you're fishing with mm. a rod, <laughs> we fish. it feels a little bit more fair. Do you know what I mean? It's like a, there's an effort gone into <laughs> That's it. Hilarious. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, okay, yeah, fair I enough. Mean, I, I mean, I wonder yeah. if we lose an idea that there is a process that we're killing another animal, and that we, you know, that if we kill it ourselves, well, yeah. then that that seems fair. But if if we have an industrialized mechanized industrial production yeah. fishing yeah, thing, right. it feels uh, a bit unfair, you know. Yeah, fairness. And out of touch, <laughs> maybe out of touch with the world. And if you get out of well, touch with the world, humans then humans are certainly out of touch with the world. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's not good for us. So no, I mean, that's one of the things not. I think about these things. The question of fairness is an interesting one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, what would you prefer? Just for example, hypothetically, okay, like a big industrial vessel that fishes responsibly and is not 
overfishing and he's gonna let's say it's perfectly regulated or you know perfectly self-regulating or whatever you want to call it yeah and it means that more people get fed for less effort so it's more productive yeah which then in turn in principle would lead to more leisure time for those people yeah eating it because they wouldn't have to work so much I mean if yeah, you yeah. apply the same principle across production elsewhere which all has an environmental impact yeah then you know if you had this kind of question of fairness where it's very labour intensive and you have this kind of like you know man struggling with nature type yeah. it might end up being less fair <laughs> down the road and in turn for those people working on those boats I completely understand your argument mm. I mean it's one of the ways I do I mean I'm not as definite as I may have sort of sounded earlier on about these things I mean no no well who is I would love a future where robots did all the work and human beings were able to have a life of leisure you as much as bums. I exactly, well, like Wally <laughs> yeah well no I don't think like Wally I think there's mm. a, a way that you can have the labour intensive work done mm. by robots uh, or something like that I mean this is again a utopian vision yeah, yeah. but 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 I, what I'm saying is the principle of technology making our lives easier and allowing us to do more stuff yeah. is one that is attractive to me yeah. I just don't know if it isn't just a kind of arrogance in human no, kind of thinking definitely. that we can achieve that yeah. and yeah. actually maybe we'd be the old like if you look at the best way for us to be happy that's all I think mm. like the, the the more of us will be happy if we have to start making do with less you know oh, I'm no, no good absolutely. at doing it but I'm yeah. no good at doing it I love stuff yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm. I'm a. Have you read The Dispossessed by Ursula Le Guin? No, I haven't. It's like a. It's a science fiction book, but it's also about a planet that's capitalism and yep. a planet that's anarchy. Right. Okay. But not as. <laughs> but 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 both are compromised. Right. Both yep. are compromised, and they have a relationship with each other. It's okay. a very very good book. Yeah. She's she's a brilliant writer. But in that, there's the a ter the term they use in the anarchist kind of world yeah. is proprietarian. Right. Because everyone has a kind of natural desire for property and mm. so they don't they don't use the word capitalist they use the word proper because it's a future and it's a science fiction mm. and i'm definitely a proprietarian uh and so are all of the people on the anarchist planet they accept it's part of their nature they accept that there is a but desire means, for the, the, stuff you yeah, know proprietarian what in yeah consumption yeah i don't think there's, there's a problem with consumption no 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 it's just a question of it's a natural desire i think well i mean you know uh, people will want to consume exactly you know, and and you know, as do I, and I'd be a hypocrite to say that I don't. But the question is, of course, is that how the, the system of, to supply that consumption is organised, which comes back to your question about the fishing, for yeah. example. So, you know, it depends upon what makes the most sense, you know, yeah, uh, in absolutely. terms of our interactions with the, the natural world. And of course, people often see that their kind of mastery of nature or impacting on nature, yeah. you know, but of course, we are natural beings yeah. you know we are of nature and we and we work in capitalism and prior systems of production focus you know work through nature mm -hmm. it's you know it's the process of working it's an ecological regime let's say you know it's not as simple as you know, capitalism comes along and imposes itself yeah. because of course capitalism is constrained by you know, natural environmental conditions of production and the effects that capitalist production generates so and capitalism isn't anti-nature as such as it's within nature it's yeah. operating within nature it's not trying to dominate it yeah. certainly yeah do you think it i mean do you think that environmentalism is 
an inevitable kind of do you think environmentalism is is a logical extension of marxism or do you yeah. think that there are contradictions between the two no i don't think there are any i think there's plenty of people who've worked and written on this uh, marxist ecology in effect yeah yeah no it's uh, I mean, I think that there's... It's a huge, huge, huge literature. I mean, you know, many people working within this kind of realm academically, but also, of course, politically as well. Yeah. You, know, uh, you have to recognise that you know, human beings function through their interactions with nature. But and, do you think the Marx need... wrote about that, for example. But do you need to think that the needs of... In, the, the environmental imperatives, like the things that we need to do to stop what we're doing, mm. Marxism is a way of structuring a society where everybody has equality. Mm. But if we change the world to that sort of a situation, mm. then it will still be consuming, we might all be consuming equally, but we might not be consuming what we can afford to consume. That not that the problem, that we consume too much? Well, isn't that what's happening with the tuna and the cod and stuff like that? We're consuming too much. You have to look at the logic of why we're consuming what we're consuming and what the motivations of those producing the stuff for us to consume are. Okay. Uh, you know, of course, not all fishers, fishermen, are short-termist. Yeah, okay. Uh, but Absolutely. Historically, they haven't been. They have a relationship with the sea. They're Absolutely. supposed to sort of yeah, yeah. have that kind of feeling. But the, the logic of competition means that, you know, you're, you have to compete increasingly with logic of capitalist competition is that you have to compete increasingly on price, for example, with other players in the you know, global economy. So, you know, fishing, fishers in Scotland have to worry about, you know, what's happening elsewhere across the planet and how that's affecting the price of the thing that they're producing and then in turn in, you know, increase the capacity of their vessels or pay their crew less or, you know, import crew from the Philippines to work yeah. for them uh, under you know, quite disciplinary kind of labour regime. So the ecological effects of, of production and consumption would have to be part and parcel of any future society. And we have to understand more clearly how the world, the world as a global ecosystem kind of works and how we interrelate with it, which requires, I think, a much more better scientific understanding of what's around us, and of course, yeah, that's true. Uh, the political possibility to act on that science. Yeah, that's also true. It's one of the, you know, we know the science is there for a lot of things, yeah. but... We ignore scientists unless well, it's in capitalists' well, best interest. Yeah, so. indeed. As certain different interest groups come to the fore at certain moments in time, and you know, it depends upon the balance of forces, let's say, in various interest groups. And more often than not, the science is ignored because of these kind of political compromises that are being made. Yeah, well, no, I mean that's yeah. that's very true. One one thing I've been, one thing I think about kind of ecological sustainability, though, is that if you, <laughs> coming back to my own point of view, I guess, yeah. is that if you have decentralised communities that are self-sufficient within themselves and they only consume what's in that locality, mm. then that's much better for the world, isn't it? Yeah, but what a dull life it would be, mate. Well, that is also a very fair point. Mm. But maybe it wouldn't be a dull life because maybe we'd have enough time to be happy and we wouldn't be so busy doing stuff to I mean, help Britain the global... Britain can't feed itself. It can. It just can can't... It? it can't feed itself... It can't feed itself itself without changing how it, how it functions. Can it feed itself, though? I mean, can you feed the 62 million people in Britain using the current... Yeah, but they just would have a much situation. less interesting no, diet. No, no, absolutely. They'd have much no, less variety. No, but if you I think agree through it It's a shame to lose that. If you think through it scientifically, right, so the first step you would have to consider is 
current presumably organic kind of agricultural production because mm. you wouldn't be using petroleum-based fertilizers exactly. and you'd, have, and you'd have, to have to use everything you know, autarky in effect yeah would the current land mass in britain combined with kind of marine resources let's say because of course you wouldn't be breeding cows and sheep and so on you'd be producing you know vegetables and yeah. uh, carbohydrates and, and so on because they make much better productive use of the land you know? You could feed you'd have to have ten both. people you'd have to have with vegetables compared to one person with a you know with a cow. You know, you, it's exponentially different. You know, you can feed much more people. The meatification of diets is what I'm trying to say yeah. is a sub central problem. Well, we'd have less meat. Our, I mean, yeah, you'd have so to we'd have, have less meat. meat so, that, but that's, that's probably the point healthy. We probably get less Ooh. obesity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Almost certainly, we eat too much meat. Certainly, we do. But the issue I'm trying to get to is that even in the kind of best case scenario. Would you be able to feed feed sixty two million people of Britain with the resources, the autarkic kind of? Well, you just have vision. to change what we use space for. You'd no, no, no. But use, what I'm trying to get to is I'm trying land. to make a point about science. I'm not saying can you know even in even given the, everything, given the best case, given scenario, the best case scenario, it. could you even feed the current population of Britain? Well, maybe they in need, an autarkic system. Well, maybe you'd need to change. Where people were globally. I mean, there has to be a global element to any restructuring of of capitalism, any po- opposition to capitalism. I mean, I yeah, mean, well, you, you sure. can't you can't say you're an anarchist and say I'm only an anarchist for this area. You have to say, well, the same as you have to if you're a Marxist. You have to say, I have to. We have to uh, deal. You can't with have the, socialism in one country. Yeah. 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 Well, you can't, and you can't have anarchy without everybody agreeing to get rid of the global capitalist system, and then you mm. can have plurality of of yeah. systems I mean under anarchy you could have your Marxist community that'd be fine and somebody else can have well, their other community you know yeah, no, I've, I, I, and that's the beauty of it yeah of course but no. I mean it might be idealistic you might be but, right. you know you, it might be it's impossible not, it's dream. not to say that under a, I mean I think you're kind of thinking that Marxism would be a kind of dogma of how things should be run and that should be you know of course it would change over time and it wouldn't be so you know, there is no one in, my, in the Marxist field who's seriously who's a serious and, you know, analytically and would actually say this is how things should be so are you Let's saying Marxism is a step towards anarchy it's though? an analytical framework <laughs> well, I mean, I'm it saying could it's be. an analytical framework that also contains within it an understanding of political practice and there are multiple interpretations of how that works okay. and you know there is no one Marxism there is no answer there there's is Marxisms no in the yeah, same way there's exactly. liberalisms yeah, yeah, yeah. and anarchisms and so on yeah exactly no, no, good so point, good point. you know I don't I don't I mean, the problem with autarky is that it's populist in the sense that I don't think that it can work. You know, if it could, then that, that might be the solution. But, I don't but you think don't think it can? can. Well, I, and I can understand why you'd come to that conclusion. I mean, I, I can't say for definite that, that, this, that this way. It just feels instinctually like that's the right... I just believe Yeah, in well, it. it's the idea that, you know... It's just what I believe the, in. The farming movement, no, fair enough. But, I mean, you know, the same thing in agriculture, for example. You have a lot of people saying that small farms are better. Yeah. Now, often they are, even in terms of productivity. Yeah. Especially if you factor in the ecological dimensions of mass farming, because of course you're talking about, you know, petroleum-based inputs yeah. from the, the tractor to the fertilizer to the pesticides. So, you know. Well, oil is going to be the big issue. Well, absolutely. And, I mean, you know, it's the biggest issue we're facing, and nobody really thinks well, we're about already, it too much. You know, I think we're already at peak oil. I yeah. think the fifty-two is, years. I think it's going to. Well, out, peak, peak peak oil is when the we you, can't when we, you don't find 
more than you're taking more out. Than you're taking right. out. So we're already using it up. Yes. Yeah. So I think the International Energy uh, Agent Commission, or I can't remember, the, the one that represents the non-OPEC countries, recently, just like a couple of months ago, finally came out publicly and said, we hit peak oil a few years ago. Right. Many people have been saying this in the past. So, yeah, yeah. You know, now but now, the now the officials agree with the yeah, everyone, people who already said yeah, yeah. you know, That's why the, you know, the Iraq war, for example, you know, it wasn't, I don't think the Iraq war was about Bush wanting like a kind of typical imperialist blueprint, direct US control by US companies of Iraqi oil. Yeah. The issue was much more about liberalizing Iraqi oil so that it becomes another steady source of supply like Saudi Arabia, like it's you know Saudi Arabia is a key ally in yeah, yeah. kind of Western consumption of oil, and Iraq is hoped to be as well by the British government and the neocons, and of course probably even Obama et al. Do you eat tuna? I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems perfectly within keeping with what you've been saying about consumption and demand, and that it's not something that you would change I don't eat a lot of meat and I eat meat you know a couple of times a week max I used so to be a vegetarian do, for many well, years that is a big argument for vegetarianism from an ecological point absolutely point, isn't it well the meatification worse. of diets yeah. I mean you know it's, it's not just incredible meat consumption and, and it's massive rise in the west it's also of course what's happening now in, in China everywhere yeah. Yeah. I often have like four or five different meats in a day yeah, and I'm well, like, that are. is insane. Yeah. And I know, right, I know it's, I know I should be better, but like, you know, <laughs> with most things. I mean, that's the thing. If you believe in human nature, it can let, let you off a few more things, I find. But that's probably a yes, bad thing. You go, oh, well, it's human to consume, out, isn't it? Well, that's, that's often um, what people say. Yeah, it is. Mm. And, you know, maybe they shouldn't, but uh, it works for me. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, the last thing I was going to ask you actually before we we wrap up was: mm. Do you find that using the word capitalism in sentences puts people off listening to you? <laughs> um, I think what well, my one of the best examples I can give of how I think that works is the editor of the Sun on the a documentary about the miners' strike in the eighties. I've forgotten his name, saying that what the minor strike was about was class war. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think that was great. Because if you talk to um, you know, other academics or even you know, non-academics, of course, they often refer to capitalism as capitalism. Yeah. But if, I suppose if you... It depends upon how you frame it. Oh, so, yeah, well, people can use the word capitalism in a positive sense. Absolutely. People are always saying, oh, yeah, capitalism is a brilliant system, yeah. and, oh, absolutely. he's a venture capitalist. It's like a badge of honour if you're a venture yeah. capitalist. Yeah. To me, that's like saying you're a Nazi guard. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's like, why would you want to go around saying that you're a venture capitalist? That's the disgusting well, thing to be. They, just keep quiet yeah, about it if you got to They justify it. their existence on the distribution of capital to different places and the efficient distribution <laughs> of finance. Yeah, I know? mean, I know. I and, know. of course, they take their cut, you know. <laughs> so, but but and so, do you, do you don't find that people stop? No, I don't to? think so, really. No, because no. I'm always a bit self-conscious about using it. I, I, I feel the same about describing myself as an artist. I know that it makes people switch off yeah. as soon as I say that, and I, and I, and it's the same with my politics. As soon as I say I'm an anarchist and I yeah. hate capitalism, those two words, it's like eh, eh. so. The context, I guess, of of yeah. using capitalism using makes it, people yeah, go, "Oh God, well, he's one of them." Saying that you know I'm an academic, for example. Oh God, yeah. You know, that as soon as you hard. say that, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I wouldn't want to listen to an academic. No, Although I do, I, I, of course, like to, some of them anyway. No, I know, I, I'm the same way. I mean, mm. I, I'm the same way. I, I, I feel very complicatedly about academia, actually. Yeah, why? Uh, oh, God, because I don't like power structures and it's a power structure about intellect rather than a power structure about uh, financial... Uh, Value. That so, depends uh, upon your pedagogy, uh, doesn't it? I mean, if you're yeah, a, a there's te- good teachers. There's always good teachers. I'm not knocking teaching. Yeah. I'm knocking the system that frames it. So of course there are brilliant academics. I like them. I like mm. listening to them. Yeah. I guess the other issue that I have with academia that feeds into this though is the the use of language as a power st- structure. Yes, absolutely. So that people can't understand what they're yeah, saying, and, no, and I wish right. they could because mm. I mean that that has to be there has to be a meeting in the middle. Absolutely, people yeah, need yeah. to be helped to understand academic concepts and academics need to, need to be helped to understand that people don't want to hear those concepts framed in this kind no, of way. Absolutely, I think it can be very exclusionary and elitist often, and including on the left. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, I think, if you're... You have to use certain uh, shorthand, yeah. you know, uh, but then I think at the same time, depending upon what it is you're writing and who you're writing for... You yeah, know, I think you need to know key. your audience. You do, but also, you, I think, you know, ideas and knowledge, which is, you know, the idealistic basis of what you know, an academic is doing uh, should be, you know, debated. Yeah. And the only way to do that seriously is to move outside of academic debate and move into, you know, other other realms. Absolutely, I 100% agree. And, yeah. It's why I make art rather than make academic stuff because I, <laughs> yeah. because right. I, 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 I one of the one of the functions I think of of good artists in a healthy and functional society is to feed from the academic thinkers mm. into the general public like they have the yeah. tools to communicate ideas to yeah, people so i mean it's not propaganda it's no. uh realism it's you, you need to represent truth i think as an artist mm. uh, as much as possible and so feeding in from academic discourse is absolutely essential at the same time i do get fed up with academic discourse <laughs> well it can be very dull yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you. Indeed, uh, I've enjoyed talking to you. It's been a real brain workout, which is good to have once in a while. Yeah, my um, brain hurts now. Yeah, m- mine too. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I ask people is, uh, do you have anything that you want to plug? Which you can you can interpret that in any way you like. Do I have anything I want to plug? Yeah. Adam Curtis, the greatest documentary maker alive. Go to Google Videos. He just had a series out, actually. Yeah. I saw him talk at a conference. Oh, I'd love to see him talk. He was, he was good. He was good about the internet basically being the same system, but just online, and that it's not an ideological hope. No. At the moment, it's basically capitalism. Of course. But, yeah. But it also, you know, like capitalism, it also contains within it various Wonderful things. Of, yeah. Absolutely, I agree. And I think yeah. I think Adam Curtis agrees with us on that, so I think we can... I mean, I don't agree with him on everything, I've got to say. But I, well, I, I don't do. mean either, but he's... He's, he's challenging, he's, though, and that's... Yeah. that's, that's and, you know, he just, I love the way he makes connections between things which are often you know, not done, and he does it in such a good way, aesthetically. Yeah, I he's think. a very good artist. Yeah, exactly. Well, the last thing is, I guess, would you like to say goodbye to the audience? Goodbye, audience. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> you can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at UBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe 
by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.